You know, there, there are many, I, I've learned in, you know, 16 years or so of preaching the gospel and being a pastor that there are um, many different ways to go about sharing God's word and, um, and how to even pray through what the Lord would have uh, for his people. So, um, it's not, always our, it's not always our custom here, or not always our kind of style, but for the next, for the next several weeks, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be looking, um, we're going to be in the, the Old Testament, okay, and we're going to be looking at the life of King David. Um, and I think there's this thing where we, when we, we maybe study or talk about someone um, in Scripture, that we we have, maybe it's just me, but we have this perception that everything that we must focus on and everything that we must talk about must, like, extol the virtues of the person, right? And that if a person has a prominent, um, has a prominent like, spot in Scripture, then it must be that that, that, that person's character, their life, um, their... Uh, just the, their interaction or relation, the things that they go through in Scripture, everything that we see in Scripture is going to always be the perfect example of what to follow. Uh, now, I don't know what you know about, about King David um, or about David. And there are certainly those instances and those stories where you're going to say, wow, what incredible character, what incredible leadership, um, what and like he's he's filled with the spirit, right? Uh, and then there's going to be moments where you're going to be like David, bro. What in the world were you thinking? Are you thinking? Here is um, here's maybe like the the general uh, encouragement about that is that. Um, God, God continues from the beginning of history to now to use people who make really dumb decisions to do incredibly um, awesome things in his kingdom when, they, when they're willing to submit themselves to the work of his spirit in their lives. We're going to talk this morning about what it, what it means to be anointed by God. And, and what it doesn't mean, right? Because being, being an anointed by God is not a seal or a sign of perfection. But being anointed by God, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag on this sermon already, but being anointed by God is, is uh, a person who is anointed by God has the spirit of God. Uh, and it was, was so in David's life, okay? Um, so we, we typically know, uh, we're going to be, uh, you can, I don't know, you want, might want to like dog ear the page in your Bible or get like a bookmark or something like that, but we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel for the vast majority of this series, all right? And um, the Samuels are right at the beginning of your Bible in the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then 1 Samuel. Um, so it's not far into your scripture. Um, 
and we'll be here for several weeks, and so uh, just make yourself familiar with that section. Now, you will likely know the life of King David from two major events, okay? What is one major event in David? David and? Okay. Universally seen as a good thing or a bad thing? Like, good story, encouraging story, or bad story? Good, correct, okay. Um, and then, what's the other thing you know David of? David and Bathsheba, right? Okay, so uh, it's kind of the, the two opposite ends of the spectrum in our perception on David. Like, way to go, man, and... <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about both, okay? Uh, we're going to talk about both. Uh, but there's much more to the life of David than there is just David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, um, the prophet Samuel says that, that God is looking for a person after his own heart to lead the people. And the person that he ends up choosing is David. Right? And so we often do call David a man after God's own heart. David was also, um, uh, is presumed to be the author of the vast majority of the Psalms that we have in Scripture. And uh, just last week, Pastor Luke talked about two of these Psalms, Psalm 42 and, and 43. And, and these were moments where, where David was pouring out his soul in a spirit of lament, like asking the God, hey, where are you in the midst of my pain? Where are you in the midst of my suffering? And David had many successes, and David had many failures, and he had many relationships that worked out, and he had some relationships that didn't work out. It's important for us, however, to understand kind of how David came into the picture, and it's impossible really to know the beginning of David's role as king of Israel and man after God's own heart without also talking about the king that came before David, and that is a guy named King Saul. Uh, so we're going to do kind of like a Reader's Digest condensed version. I know that's not probably laughing internally, because uh, nothing I say is condensed ever. Um, but we're going to do our best to give like the Reader's Digest condensed version of how David came to be who David was. And it has a lot to do with the king that came before him. So we have the people of God, right? We have the, the Israelite nation. And throughout the first several hundred and thousand years of their, of their life, right? They were, they were led by the uh, religious or spiritual leaders in their community. So sometimes these, they, would be, they would be normally called prophets, right? Um, and sometimes they would be called judges. So we're talking about people like Abraham. And then we're talking about people like Moses. And then we're talking about people like Joshua, and then we're talking about some of, the, some of the judges 
of Israel, right? And, 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 the, and the judges were spiritual leaders that led out of, like, in the spirit of God, both to convict the nation of Israel to move back towards God, calling them back into relationship with God, and based on their, like, various... Um, personalities and the historical period that they would set, they would have different methods of doing so. In fact, probably one of the most famous judges is a guy by the name of who? Samson, right? Um, And so, even this period in Israel's history was guided by men and women who were who were um, who were anointed by God to lead the nation of Israel always back into relationship with God or in alignment with God, right? Because God wanted to be their king. It was God's desire and God's heart, God's plan for he himself to be their king. Now, as is uh, probably the pattern of most people, and in this case, the pattern of the Israelite nation, right? As God was their king, and they were constantly like being led by God through the leadership of these uh, prophets and, and judges and, and uh, religious leaders, and sometimes these religious leaders were great, and sometimes they were horrible. Right, but they, the Israelite nation, got to this point where they, the um, the the priests, right, the religious leaders, they kind of looked around, and you know, you know, all of these other nations around us, all of these people, these different kingdoms and nations all around us, they all have kings. They all have these really like powerful, authoritative, sometimes. Um, like enigmatic figures that stood at the top of the authoritarian heap and led the country in battle and rallied everyone to a current cause. And you know what? It would be, you know, you know what Israel, you know what we need? We need a king like all of the other nations around us. And so what happens is in 1 Samuel chapter 8, right? is that these people, these people, they walk up to Samuel. And Samuel is the prophet that is essentially like the, the I would say like the, the direct mediator between the nation and God at that time. And they say um, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, and they said to him, Hey, you are old. And your, son, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Meaning like, hey, you're getting a little, you're, you're, you're nearing your end of effective leadership and there is no one like to succeed you. Uh, now, what we want you to do is we want you to appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Uh, very first mistake, right? Um, is that the way the Israelites wanted to go about following God was based on 
their comparison or comparing themselves to other people. Not what is God calling us to do. Not who has God called us to be. Not what is the specific like plan or place or purpose that God has called us as an individual nation to be about. Right? But hey, what is everyone else doing? We should do that too. That may work for us. Now that's an important, maybe just like, tiny corrective for your own soul. Right? But also for us as a church, right? We're not looking right. We're not looking left. We're not looking behind us or up the street or at that church or at that person or at that business over there. I'm like, what are they doing? We need to do that too. No, we're, we're taking intentional steps to say, Lord, who have you called us to be? Who have you called us to be? Who have you called me to be? What do you want to do in, in, in my life in particular? Not in comparison to the other people around me, but, but me. Who have you created me to be, and what's the purpose and plan that you have for my life, right? Verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this very day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. And so that's what Samuel did. He warned them. Hey, look, I'll do this. But it's not going to go well. This is not what you want. This is not what the Lord desires for you. Please don't do this. This is not going to be good. Down in verse 19, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then, we'll, then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered them, listen to them and give them a king. And so that's essentially what Samuel was about to do. And so now the question then, well, who is, who is the perfect king for the Israelites? Who is going to be who is going to be that person that's going to lead them into battle? Who is going to be the person that is going to, to take the reins of the Israelite nation and be both the, the king leader and let's hope lead them in a direction that honors and pleases the Lord? Well, we begin to find out in chapter 9 just who that person is. Chapter 9 verse 1, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing. Man of standing whose name was Kish. He had a son named Saul. And Saul was an impressive young man. Without equal among the Israelites. A head taller than any of the others. And so, hey, if you're looking 
for a king, let's go to a family of extraordinary standing, right? And let's see who in that family stands head and tails above the rest. I mean, just look at him. He's big. He's strong. He's powerful. He has got a, he has got a presence about him, right? He is obviously very, very kingly. He looks the part. He sounds the part. And what we see there in the rest of chapter 9 is that man, he could certainly fight the part. Man was a warrior. And he could get it done. The guy's name was Saul. So later there, um, then in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, Saul is made king of the Israelites. As Saul turned, verse 9, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, this is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. Or actually, if you look at, I should say 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Samuel, who is the prophet at that time, who is the one that would anoint the leader, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord now anointed you as leader over his inheritance? So, remember, the Lord has given Samuel permission to go ahead and anoint a king as the people had desired, even with the solemn warning of it likely not going well. And so Samuel did this for Saul. Saul became the leader. And in verse 10 of chapter 10, uh, when they arrived where they were going, a, a procession of prophets met with Saul. And the Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. And so... It was not as if Saul, uh, it was not as if God outrightly rejected even the notion of a king or even the person of Saul at the beginning. In fact, what, what Samuel records for us is that, is that even despite his warning to the people that it would not go well, because listen, God knows the heart of man, God was still gave Samuel the permission to anoint a leader over the nation, and then, on top of that, sent his spirit to anoint Saul's leadership for the nation. And so Saul had everything that he could need at his disposal to lead with godly intentions. Well, it only takes us about five chapters in the book of 1 Samuel to see that um, Saul was then rejected by the Lord as king over Israel for directly disobeying for his own gain the commandment of God to completely destroy the Amalekite nation. God said, I don't want you to leave anything alive. Now we could theologically talk about that for a long time, right, and really twist our brain up into noodles about why God said, destroy the nation. No man, no woman, no child, no animal, nothing in that nation left alive. 
kill it all. Um, but the point of what we're talking about this morning, I know, sorry to drop that one on you, but... Uh, <laughs> um, but the point of what we're talking about this morning is that, look, um, Saul was given a, a crystal clear directive from the Lord. Do this exactly like this. And what did Saul do? Well, Saul got there, he did half the job, three quarters of the job, and he'd be like, well, geez, I know the Lord said destroy everything, but those cattle over there, they look awfully like, I think I could do some stuff with that. Like, and I know the Amalekites are, um, like, evil people. But, like, if I just keep some of their stuff, it'd be a blessing to me. It'd be a blessing to my people. It would just be, I'm sure God won't mind. And then he went through this whole, like, rationalization of why he could do it. And, like, oh, this is just kind of a normal thing. You, you take, the, uh, you take the, the wealth of the nation when you destroy them. And God's like, no, I told you. Destroy everything. Get rid of it. And it was like, not listening to the Lord in totality kept the door open long enough for the sin and the wickedness of the Amalekite people to walk through. And it was in that moment where Saul was rejected by the Lord. Rejected there as king. Samuel said to Saul, verse 15, 1 Samuel. Samuel said to Saul, Am I the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel? So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Verses 10 and 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to, Lord, to the Lord all that night. Verse 26 through 29. As Samuel approached Saul with this reality that, hey, God told you to do X, you instead did Y, Saul was like, shoot. Yeah, you're right. Probably should have done what the Lord told me. Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the word that the Lord, or, you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And so in the midst of Saul's disobedience to the Lord's command, the anointing that was given to him to be king over Israel was stripped, was taken away, and as Samuel said, was going to be given to another. 
Who was that other? That other was King David. Okay? So we're having the weaving together of several people's stories. The story of Saul, the story of Samuel as the prophet, and now here comes the story of David. And they all kind of weave together. Um, so the question is, listen, when it was God, when 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 he when God said, "I've rejected Saul, I'm going to anoint another king," we already know that the Israelite nation had a way in which they picked a king, right? A family of standing, and within that family of standing, the person that stands heads and tails above everyone else, who's the strongest? Who's the biggest? Who most looks the part of king? That's the way they chose. And so now, when God is ready to choose the man, when God is ready to choose the king, what is the difference between the way men chose and now what is the difference between the way that God chooses? And if you and I if you, you and I had to make every, like, stand everyone up in the room, right? Who would you choose to lead? I mean, you'd be looking at everyone and being like, well, that person looks like they can make good decisions. That person looks big and imposing and, like, have authority, right? That person seems, I mean, like, they're, they're good looking enough. We can put them up on our social media, right? I'm not going to scare anyone away. They're cool enough. They're hip enough, right? They got all the right things. Like, yeah, that's the person that we want as our leader. But the question is, is that the, is that the person that God would choose? And, and what's the difference between the way that, that we choose and the way that God chooses? And really the question for us this morning is if if you and God had to both choose someone to lead, would you make the same choice? Would you make the same choice? So who does God choose, and what are the circumstances under which God chooses? 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, hey, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? It's over, bro. Move on. You anointed him. He failed. The anointing's moving to someone else. Get over it, right? We got on, it's time to anoint another king. He said, go to the house of Benjamin, right? There you're going to go to the house of, or the, the clan of Benjamin. Go to the house of Jesse. In verse 6 in chapter uh, Chapter 16, they, when they arrived, Samuel, oh, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So I saw this guy named Eliab. Jesse's probably his oldest son. Or maybe not necessarily his oldest son, but certainly the person that what? Looked the part. Because Samuel walked in the room, he's like, oh man, Yeah. This is going to be the easiest job I've had all week. It's definitely going to be that guy, right? But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. 
The Lord does not look the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here is the difference, right, between the way that, um, that we choose or that men choose and the way that the Lord chooses, right? Samuel walked in the room, saw the person that looked the part, just saw, right? Saw with his limited perspective and say, that's definitely the one that's going to lead the nation right there. That is going to be our king. Samuel could only see, but immediately the Lord came to Samuel and corrected the perspective that only outside appearance matters. And he said, hey, look, you may look at how, what his age is and how, how cool she is or the family that they've come from or their history of sinfulness, right? Or how, how much of a presence they are in the room. You have all of these perspectives, but let me tell you what, your perspective is so limited because I know their hearts. And for God, leadership was all about the nature of the person's heart, not about their outside appearance. Because in verse 8 and 9, he goes on, like, uh, so, so Jesse, the father of David and all of his brothers, was like bringing in all of his sons. We're like, okay, next. And Samuel's like, nope, next, nope, next. Nope. And it got to the end, and Samuel's like, well, don't you have any other sons? And what did, what did Jesse say? Jesse said this, verse 11 and 12. So he asked Jesse, are, are these all the sons that you have? You want, you want to talk about something that'll put your son in therapy? Well, they're still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. Well, yeah, I've got another one, but we all kind of know, right? It ain't him. I got another one, but he's out, he's out in the field tending the sheep. Can promise you he's not the guy that you are looking for. Listen, okay? I want you to hear something. This is exemplified in Jesse's attitude, right? But it's something that we hold in our heart as well. Okay? This is not, this is not, um, this is not just for Jesse. This is for us. Be careful not to project a role or an identity onto someone that the Lord has not given to them. Oh, yeah, my youngest son, he's kind of a screw-up, and he's really small in stature, and he's not very mature, so he's just the one that's going to tend the sheep. Don't, you're not going to worry about him. Right? What, did Jesse, what, did, what did Jesse do? Jesse was like, I have already decided what David's identity is. He's a shepherd. Okay? Not kingly. Not worthy of being anointed. Not the one for the job. 
right? He had, he had prescribed to David already the role that he thought fit him by his outside appearance. Jesse had already determined in his mind how or who David was. And I wonder here, this is an interesting question, I wonder here, we're all, like, some of you have been here a long time, some of you are, like, medium new, and some of you are, like, brand new, right? And I, I was thinking back to this, like, my own time here, like, going on seven years as one of the pastors here, and I was thinking about, like, who, who, um, who did I have a perspective of based on outside appearance, their family, or their job, or where they came from, or whatever, who did I have a perspective of, based on those outside factors, that was completely blown out of the water after I actually got to know them? When I got to see what? When the, when my, when my perspective, like, through time, right, and the Spirit of the Lord working in my life, like, changed the way that I saw people and what I saw with people, what changed in me? And what changed in the relationship? And what changed in the community when we ask the Lord to help us um, be in relationship with people based on their heart and what God was doing in their heart, not on just what, like, the, the whole picture of the outside appearance. God is always moving to do something in and through you. Always. He's always changing. If you're allowing him, right, he's, he's using his spirit, he's using his word to sanctify, to change, to mold, to make new, to make different our hearts. And so, yeah, the outside picture, it may look a little rough, right? But God is always moving in my heart to make me something completely new. And that's what I want to see in other people, right? Isn't that we want? We want to see them the way that the Lord sees them. This is the way that we see them the way that the Lord sees them. We see them, we see them in, for their heart. You see, when we... We allow our outside appearance perspective to dictate our choice. Oh, I'm going to be your friend. Yeah, I want to get to know you. Or I'm going to be in community with you. Or yeah, you can come to my small group. Or you can come to my home. Or yeah, you're the person I want to invite to lunch after church because you look like someone that I would really get along with. Listen. When we allow our outside appearance perspective to dictate our choice of another person, we may inadvertently and preemptively reject the person that God has actually anointed as a king. Because Jesse was like, I already know who David is. You, I don't even need to bring him into the room. And God's like, you're going to know who he is in a minute. You're gonna. He's not a shepherd. He's the one I have anointed as king. Question for prayer 
for you, for I, for all of us. Lord, who have I rejected or discounted because they did not fit the part, but that you have anointed? Who have I rejected, Lord? Who have I said no to emotionally? Who have I said no to relationally? Who have I said no to? No, 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 they don't fit. The, uh, I don't get along with them. I don't have anything in common with them. I don't really like what they stand for. I don't know. I don't like who they are or where they've come from. They just, they don't fit the point. Well, let, let, me, let me tell you this. Like the Lord may, if you allow him, tell you, hey, look, I've anointed that person for kingly purposes. And where Jesse at one point was like, I don't even, like, you don't even need to see David, right? In verse 13 in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, it was kind of like, okay, when David did actually come in from the field, what was the picture? Think of it, you have all these big hulking boys, right, sons, who thought they were going to be king, standing in a row here. Here comes the annoying David, right, whose father didn't even believe in him enough to bring him to the table. And he walks into the room, and the Lord says to Samuel, that's him. That's him. And then what does the word say? <laughs> Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is one, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. I was like, I will show you. I will show you the one that I have chosen. And not just, I will show you the one that I have chosen, but I will show you what doesn't matter to me. And what doesn't matter can stand by and watch what does. I mean... Right? So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. God will make a spectacle of the world's wisdom by exalting those the world has rejected. All the time. The world will reject them. God will make a spectacle of that wisdom by anointing them and bringing them into power. There's really only two sides to be on there. But here is the interesting thing, is that the mark, what is the mark of God's choosing? The mark of God's choosing, right, is not just... Samuel's words, you're the anointed one, and here's the oil, right? The oil was symbolic in that moment for something else. It was like the, the object lesson for what was actually happening in the spiritual realm is that the Spirit of God was coming upon David. The Spirit of God had left Saul, departed from Saul, it says in verse 14, and had come upon David in leadership. The mark of God's choosing the mark of God's power, the mark 
of God's, I've got a plan for this person's life, is his spirit. That is the mark. It is the stamp. Paul says in various places, it says in Romans chapter 8, we can go there, that we, you and I, that, that, that you and I have the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will raise you and I from the dead through faith in Jesus. Right? And so Paul will, in various uh, points in Scripture, say things like this. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, you... You who follow Jesus Christ. You who call yourselves Christ followers, Christians. You are, you are not controlled, right, by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. You are, you are not a slave to your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit of God. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But listen, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Amen. The, sp the spirit... Benny's my hype man. I'm gonna get a shirt. I need to get a shirt for Benny that says "hype man," man, right? Yeah. It's a hallelujah moment, right? It is a hallelujah moment because listen, God is declaring that the same Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead lives in you by faith in Jesus Christ. This is, not a, this is not just some theological value. It's not something the church writes on its webpage. It's not something in a Bible study. It's the heavenly reality of God's Spirit living and indwelling in you. And when God's Spirit dwells within you, it is the mark and it is the seal of God's presence, his power, his authority, and his victory over sin and death. Paul elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 1 says that, says that the same, that same spirit is not just the... Um, is not like just living in you by faith in Jesus Christ, but the Spirit of God. Let me get there. Ephesians chapter 1. The Spirit of God in you is a, is a mark, is a, is a deposit, is God's guarantee in your life. Ephesians 1 verse 11 in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Listen. And you 
also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, having believed in Christ, right? And the power of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What is Paul saying here? He's like, hey, when you receive, um, you, when you believe in Christ, when you, take, when you take upon yourself faith in Jesus Christ, right, that God then, at that moment, gives you his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is like a deposit, right? When you put a deposit down on something, what are you doing? You're like, hey, I'm holding my place with this deposit until I come back and get the fullness of what I deposited for. And what, what Paul says is that the Holy Spirit that lives in you by faith in Jesus Christ right now is God's deposit guaranteeing you that you have an eternal inheritance, the redemption of your whole lives, your whole souls, everything that you are, everything that you have. God's like, I'm coming back for you. Here's my deposit. It's his spirit. All right? So the spirit of God comes upon David, right? as the mark of God's presence in him and fulfills, right, like the, the, the deposit of his power in David's life. You have the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The last point that I'm going to leave you with this morning. Ah, oh, jeez, we're out here late. That Brandon, I tell you. <laughs> I don't know all of your stories. I don't know the places that you that you run, the circles that you run in, the people that you involve yourselves with. I don't know. I don't know if what you portray on the outside to me is what is happening on the inside. I don't know that. God does. Okay? God sees. God knows. And God wants you to hear something this morning. Okay? I don't, I don't often say, I don't often make as authoritative statements as this because they're dangerous to make. Right? When everyone says, when someone says, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord told me to tell you, like, listen, you better step real gently on that, okay? Because the Lord doesn't need anyone to speak for him. Right? The Lord can speak on his own. So if the Lord gives you something to speak, speak it, Right? But don't just use what the Lord told me as a lever to get people to listen to you because you will choke on those words later. 
Okay? But the Lord wants you to hear this. Okay? If the God who establishes kingdoms and eternities has chosen you, it does not matter where or how the world has rejected you. It does not matter. If the God who controls the sun, the moon, the stars, if the God who brings all of eternity into existence by the sound of his voice says, that is the one that I have chosen. And what is the mark of God's choosing? His spirit in you, right? If the God who establishes kingdoms and eternities has chosen you, it does not matter where or how the world has rejected you. You will be used as a vessel for his glory as you submit yourself in obedience to his plan for your life. As you ask him, Lord, how would you have me lead? How would you have me speak? I don't want to, be, no, not, not like look to this nation and see that they have a king, or look to this nation and see that they have a king, or look to this person and see what they're doing, or this person and see what they're doing, or that church and see what they're doing, or this business and see what they're doing, but no, Lord, okay, you've given me your spirit, you've marked me, You've chosen me. It doesn't matter what this person says to reject me or that person says to reject me. You have ch Lord, what would you have me do? How would you have me lead? How would you have me parent? How would you have me work? How would you have me? 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 And when you can bring yourself, when you can like humble yourself to the point of like coming into alignment with God's purposes for your life, it does not matter. The world can reject you and reject you and reject you and reject you and the Lord's going to anoint you in front of everyone. Like that horn of oil, like just pour it out. Like, just watch it. So I don't know where, I don't know where the world has rejected you. How the world has rejected you. The Lord has chosen you. Lord has chosen you through faith in Christ. Let me pray for you as the worship team comes back up. Gracious and heavenly Father, you have chosen. We know, Lord, that you have chosen everyone in conformity with faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, that, that your word says that you have been, we have been chosen before the foundations of the world. Lord, I don't confess to understand all of that. I don't confess to understand even 5% of that. But Lord, what I do commit to this morning is man, grabbing a hold of that truth by faith. That I have been chosen and predestined according to the plan of you who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of your will. 
Lord, and I choose today to believe by faith that when you say your spirit is living in me as a deposit guaranteeing my inheritance until the redemption of those who are your possession, Lord, I, I, I affirm it, I, I believe it, I receive it by faith. Lord, and indeed, I am holding and carrying with me this morning the rejection of the world. Maybe this is a rejection that has come straight from other people, or maybe is it a, re- is a rejection that I have manufactured myself by comparing myself to that parent, or that business owner, or that Christian or that person, and all I can see is myself in comparison to other people. Lord, but you are our metric. You are our place of comparison. And you have said, I have given you my spirit, and I have chosen you in Jesus Christ. And because I have chosen you, no one can reject you. Lord, may we live fully and affirmed in the reality that you have chosen us. That we are not rejected by you, that we are not cast aside by you, but that you, the God of kingdoms and eternities, has chosen us, has anointed us, and in your grace and mercy through faith in Jesus Christ has allowed your spirit to live within us, the mark of your choosing. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.